Welcome to the Nerve to Lead podcast. Here we explore power, pleasure, leadership, identity, belonging, parenting and couplehood and explore stories of navigating through life, finding both authenticity and attachment through the common lens of the nervous system. I am your host Sangeeta Bhattacharyati and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome everyone. Um it's an honor to be in conversation with Akila Ryan Richardson today. Welcome Akila. Uh, Akila is a, a therapist. She works with uh couples, minoritized groups and I'm just fascinated by her work. We had a chance to uh be with each other in a course that she taught recently and you know my work also sits at the intersection of the collective and the individual and a lot of my work is very systemic aware and focused and based. So um just fascinating the work that you do. Welcome. And uh could you introduce yourself and tell us a bit more about your story and what brings you to the work and Yeah no problem so my name is Akila Riley Richardson I a uh, couples therapist as she mentioned before and I am also a certified clinical trauma professional I've been doing this work for about 16 years and I've been working in both the NGO sector the public sector and in private work I mean I also teach social work so my training is largely social work my first degree is in psychology college and my stuff after in social work and then after that I did a lot of other training in couples therapy uh, trauma work um looking at somatic work etc so a lot of the work I do is how do we treat trauma somatically etc and as I deepened my work in couples therapy I would have exposed myself to various schools like the Gottman school pacts which is headed by my friend Stan Patkin RLT EFT different things I would have exposed myself to and I realized that I wanted to build something that acknowledged the realities of minoritized couples so I understand minoritized couples uh, as couple systems that consist of at least one partner who's in a minoritized group whether that person is black indigenous or a person of color whether that person is a member of the lgbtqi community whether that person is neurodivergent whatever it is that person living on the margins because they're marginalized by wider society that's how i understand a minoritized couple and and i felt that i wanted to create something that accounted for the role of the system yeah in shaping how people understand themselves as individuals but also how people understand themselves in relationship yeah so that drove a lot of my work and it's been driving my work for many years yeah i think even when i was um doing my masters in social work i always was preoccupied with the role of the system always and always been concerned that as a social worker i didn't want to just be doing case work I wanted to be doing you know work that accounted for the wider structure. So I saw that interest and that passion emerging from my 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 graduate studies days and what I noticed as well 
is that as I grew as a person, I began to become very interested in decolonizing practice. So I am from Trinidad and Tobago, but you know, all our textbooks and stuff that we study emerge from, you know, the global North, you know, American spaces or European spaces. And so one of my greatest concerns, and, and strangely enough, I was doing some work this morning and I felt the concern, like when I was doing something with a client of mine, I asked myself, whose voice are you parroting here? You know, whose imagination are you living in right now? Yeah. And I'm always concerned about in my practice, am I grounded or am I just um, enacting fidelity to, to, to certain models that have not necessarily originated in my particular space? And, and so freeing my mind, decolonizing my mind um, has become a, a major interest, a major pursuit of mine right now. And I think it's become a pursuit that I want for other persons too, who exist in non-American, non-European spaces, post-colonial spaces. It, it's a tough thing to stand with. It's a tough thing to pursue. Yes. Because, yeah, because I think we have been taught that we are consumers as opposed to producers of knowledge. And this morning, I, I strangely enough, I felt a bit deflated when I was thinking about that, that it's really an uphill battle to get um, non-American and non-European folks. And I say even within America to get um, BIPOC, LGBTQI folks to understand that uh, people on the margins, those of us who are marginalized, we can stop and imagine and create. So it's not just about um, non-American spaces, because even within America, you know, there is a, a stratified system when it comes to education and production of knowledge. Yeah. And so I think just this quest that I have that's unfolding now in the, in the different work, the different types of work that I do. Yeah. yeah thank you for that. I think that was beautiful. And this thing that you've talked about decolonizing spaces, I think, has fascinated me. I uh, came into the how much colonial thinking I was. I, mean, I was born and raised in India, and then I was educated in the U.S. Then I lived in the U.K., became a naturalized British citizen, and then now we've repatriated back to India. So I am an amalgam of so many different aspects in some senses, but. You see that in birth work as well, right? The idea of how we look at medical systems and women's bodies, both from an external in, as well as how women perceive our own bodies. Do we perceive ourselves as competent? Do we perceive our bodies as competent? You know? And that shows up in various spaces, specifically birth, and that's what got me to trauma space. And Oh, there's such a need to decolonize trauma. I think there is also a huge need to decolonize somatic work, you know. Uh, but personally, that work has been life-changing for me. And I'm also very keenly, and this is my body of work that I'm building, is that uh, it comes from a lens which I think we need to take and then juxtapose our collective wisdom and intuition on that. And Collectively, I think when we talk about trauma, we also talk about triggers 
And I think there's a lot of space for the glimmers, all of the innate strengths that the culture brings. And sometimes we either downplay it, reword it as triggers when that whole context is missing. So I think it's, it's really fascinating what you do. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Tell me a bit more about kind of how this work has progressed for you in these, all of these years that you've been doing work, because, you know, what you do sits at the intersection of therapy and social work. And I think that's so needed in today's radicalized, politicalized structures. Can you walk me through a bit about your practice and how it's changed and evolved, especially after you know, the last few years of politicization of, um, you know, non-white bodies, I guess. I would say that my work progressed as my eyes became more open and it moved from being anti-colonial to pro-minoritized groups. What do I mean by that? Like, I realized that there was a phase of my work where I was so focused on challenging, 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 and not creating. Mm. Um, and it has moved as well. It has moved out of adapting to, to creating. You know, there's this book I actually have in the back there um, about, it's edited by Mel Gray and another author I can't remember. Um, but it's about this whole thing about indigenizing social work practice. And they talk about these different phases of this process. And the second phase is indigenizing, which is where we take existing models and just kind of create it and shape it. But then they have another phase called authentization. That's not authentication, mm -hmm. authentization. And in this phase, you're generating and creating. And um, I'm reading this book now called The Politics of Trauma by Stacey Oh, Hayes. yes, Stacey Hayes. Yes, I just finished it, actually. Amazing. Yeah. Her work solidified and validated all the stuff that I've been thinking, which is thinking about possibility and critically examining your longing. Like, the, your longing has, has a political context. Your longing serves someone else's interests, you know? And... I've been thinking it all the time. I've been feeling it in my, my entire body has been telling me this. But there's this like other level that says you're not allowed to get, you're not allowed to create, you're not allowed to imagine, you're not allowed to even think that you should be. And, you know, it, it, this book is now giving me the oomph that I need yes. to, to develop what I've been developing. Yeah. And, Stacey locates herself, eh? you know, um, as a white woman locating herself, locating her privilege, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. And um, and what she's managed to do is not not dump a bunch of theories in your head about how you should live, but give mm -hmm. you the space to examine, which is what I want to do as well, you know. Yes. Um, and I want to acknowledge that for me, it might be a little bit difficult because I'm in a different social location. I live here in a post-colonial space, the Caribbean. And so the, the rumbling with that is going to be harder, but it's a beautiful rumble. Yeah. Yes. So, so this is where I'm at. The work has progressed from being anti to now being pro-imagination, creation, generation. That's where the work is. Um, and to be very deliberate about what I read. 
Yeah. Oh yes. Oh, um, yeah. I, I'm reading still. Um but I'm very deliberate about what I read. And I also want to, you know, I am I am a black Caribbean woman. My ancestors hail from from West Africa. So sitting with the the wisdom of my ancestors, I think also becomes important, you know, um, and figuring out which pieces do I want to honor, which pieces do I probably want to say, mm, I, but 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 all of that just giving myself the breath. Yes. You know, imagine. Yeah. I feel like my work, whether it's the social piece or the trauma piece or like the therapy piece, uh, the more my nervous system lands and the more secure attachment I build with my partner, the deeper and more vulnerable and authentically I show up for my work, for my clients, for people who work for me. And generally how I show up in the world. Um, and so if whether it's in the therapy piece or in the more entrepreneurial space, uh, for me, it's just so amazing how much the interpersonal world of, you know, has an impact on how you show up in your work and vice versa. So tell us about that a little bit. And this is your work as well. And now, a small break to talk about more resources. We've created a guide called the Immigrant Nervous System, which walks you through first-generation rerootedness and all its various aspects. It is free for you to download and use. It is available as a link on the episode show notes. Now back to our conversation. My work is a lot around what I call relational privilege and relational privilege refers to those conditions that people who are not marginalized have that allow them to be able to feel so free to be able to feel safe with other human beings right and especially to be feel safe with their partners and you know sometimes when we sit with our clients like our couples we talk to them about, you know, being more, being, like treating their partners better and, and, and feeling safe with their partners. And we teach them how to build intimacy, but we don't think about the wider context. So in my work, I think about, okay, um, is this person living his or their own truth? Is this person feeling safe physically and psychologically? Yeah. Is, does this person accept her, him or themselves? Does this person feel accepted by the society at large because all of those conditions those four conditions are conditions that persons who have privilege have more access to but those of us who exist on the margins i wouldn't say we have none of it but we certainly are, are relatively we hold relatively less of it right less of it than yes. others and you know you said something that i want to just touch on and integrate into my own thinking my relational privilege so you talked about sorry when you feel safer with your partner you're able to do your external work better and when i think about relational privilege i think about two things i think about how so how do we create a context of safety for the person outside of their relationship 
But how do we also make the relationship itself a hub? Yeah, a hub of those conditions, right? So that people can show up better for their partners, but also show up better for the world. And showing up better for the world isn't just being, isn't just about being able to do work, but being able to deal with the conditions of marginalization, the racism, the sexism, the heterosexism, all those different things, the homophobia, the ableism, all these different things that people have to face on a daily basis. How do we make, how do we build the sense of relational privilege within the relationship so people can do their work and deal with the wider isms that they have to, to deal with? And I think a lot about what it means to be in this body. And when I say this body, I mean being Black from the global South, from Trinidad and Tobago. And I think about some of the things that we may struggle with as opposed to, let's say, a white American cishet woman or cishet man, more cishet man. But, it's all, but, but some of it is around living in your own truth. Yeah. Um, some of it is about feeling your full personhood, you know, um, the strength of community, you know, what slavery and what colonialism has done to people, to post-colonial -post people, is strip their sense of self and strip their sense of community. And when communities are fashioned and formed, they're often formed as resistance, yeah? Yeah. yeah. And there's a way that day by day, minoritized people are stripped from their communities. If you think about, for example, in the U.S., just the ways, of, just, just the high rates of, of the imprisonment of Black men in the U.S. Yeah. and how Black men are stripped from their families and what that, and what that does in terms of stimulating the old historical woundings around Black yeah. families being stripped apart. You know, yeah. you think about that, um, especially here in the Caribbean, many LGBTQI young persons are stripped from community, meaning that they're stripped from their families because they're not accepted. Yeah. There are different ways in which people who are on the margins are, are always stripped from communities. If you yeah. are if you're differently abled, if you are deaf, you're blind, you'd have to find community with people who are similar to you because the able-bodied community tends in different ways structures itself so that you are not situated comfortably in the, in the community. So constantly... You live a, a life that where you where not belonging is a central feature of your existence. And in Stacey's book, where she talks about the, the politics of trauma, she talks about this whole thing about belonging. Yeah. And how belonging can feel like punishment in the body and how essential belonging is to well-being. And and when you think about all of these things, especially you think of the ways in which, in which that sense of belonging can be limited for people of color, for people, for LGBTQI folks, etc. You can see how without that, they may struggle to form healthy relationships, be able to tackle the challenges of, of all the different phobias and isms of the world. And so my work has been essentially about how do I, within couples therapy, nurture a sense of being able to live one's own truth, a sense of belonging, a sense of self-acceptance and a sense of safety. How do I build that within a, a couple system? And I want to say it's not just couples because I do believe in, in various relationship forms. So how do I en engender that in a polyamorous setting? How do I create that sense of community and belonging so that we can set people up to thrive because the structural stuff 
limits their ability to thrive? How can now our communities at home set people up to thrive, which is essentially so relation this 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 work around relational privilege for me is not just couple work or partnership work if you're thinking about polyamorous settings. It's, it's wider social justice work. Yeah. Yes. Our people yes. can't feel safe to, to survive and to thrive through these various systems if we can't get our communities home to ad address, sorry, the central features that limit their 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 ability to thrive in the first place. That's beautiful. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's beautifully kind of segues into the intimacy. So I work with couples on all of these aspects and intimacy, right? I mean, it's uh, sexual intimacy. It's almost like power and pleasure. You know, there is two sides of the same coin and, you know, you can't have one be restricted and not feel the effects of that in the yes. body. I think yeah. post, especially in the Indian, like South Asian, specifically Indian setting, I think that's been one of the, to me, I think that's the deepest trauma that post-colonial India has is this dissociation from pleasure in the body. Historically, right, when you think about the land of Kama Sutra and, you know, in, in religion and, and in spirituality, there wasn't this split in the shame that came with pleasure, even sexual pleasure, right? Because it was really embodied with pursuit of higher orders of spirituality and then colonialism, where religious conversions, etc., has just split that and made us so dissociated from pleasure. You know, I feel like that's the biggest colonial trauma that, that post-colonial cultures grapple with is both power and pleasure, right? Like, I think if you take one away, you also take away the other and just ability to hold pleasure in the body, not just sexual pleasure, but pleasure in general. That concludes part one of my conversation with Akila. Join us on the next episode where we talk more about relational privilege and Akila's work. Thank you for joining me today on Nerve to Lead podcast. The music you hear in this podcast was created by Soundcreed. You can find their link in the description. Thank you to Vaishnavi and Pavitra in Team Sangpar for producing and editing this podcast. Did this episode resonate with you? If it did, please share it with your friends, family, co-workers or clients. We would also love to hear from you. Drop us a note on www.sangpar.com.